Have you ever wondered what it's like for other people to go through a life event? Is it the same for them? Is it different? And how? My name is Dr. Nikkel Rogers-Wood. I'm a psychologist. I'm doing a podcast with my mom, Dr. Elsa Rogers, Dean of General Studies. And we're going to be talking to different people about what it's like to go through a single life event at the same time. This time, we are really lucky to have another guest on the the pod, and this guest is another childhood friend of mine. I suppose that's like my sweet spot, but I know some really good people who are very smart and interesting. So uh, today's guest is Dr. Worth Thomas, and she is an OBGYN um, in California and can give us some really neat information and perspectives um, from, you know, kind of based on the life that she lives and the work that she does and just her point of view. So I want to welcome you to the podcast work. Or, I'm sorry, Dr. Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's quite an honor. And I agree with you that um, our high school and childhood friends are some of the most amazing people. And so I'm happy to be a part of that group. And oh, so, wonderful. of course, you know, my mom, like my mom knows all the guests because she knew them when. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so worth kind of what the, I mean, this is a, a pretty new endeavor for my mom and me. And um, we've been thinking about doing this for years, but thought, you know, no time like a pandemic um, to sit down and have some interesting <laughs> conversations. And so we kind of think that it would be good to hear different perspectives on different things. Um, and so we like to talk you know, on the podcast about our perspectives about things like whether it's marriage, raising kids, um, what things are like in different parts of the country, because I know we're both on the East Coast, but in Florida and California is a totally different culture. So getting your take on that, as well as being a physician, both pre and post pandemic, because I'm sure it's been, well, probably pretty intense and strange still trying to deliver healthy babies during a time when people are very worried about, you know, germs and viruses. Yeah, it's been, it's been wild, actually. Um, It's, um, you know, I, the, I currently live in California in the Bay Area, and the Bay Area was one of the um, early uh, hotspots of the pandemic. Um, and there was, um, you know, a lot of worry, a really, you know, intense worry in the area. Um, we have a large immigrant population, a lot of people coming from Asia. We have a lot of direct flights back and forth from Asia. Um, as a physician, we have a lot of patients from that area, plus patients from all over the world. And, um, you know, it was very intense uh, the first few weeks just with the lack of information about what was going on. Um, I've got to say, I feel actually now quite fortunate to be in this area because despite being one of the earlier hotspots, it seems to be fairly uh, well controlled right now, at least. Um, and uh, so I feel like people are, are doing a little bit better right now, but it was um, pretty intense, you know, um, with that that worry for just ourselves and our families, um, our patients for us physicians and, and, um, you know, people's jobs, et cetera, the way the rest of the world is too. But 
So I wonder, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Mom. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just kind of wondering, kind of teasing apart those two things, because as a physician, you're having to have a lot of close contact with people who may or may not have a virus, and so trying to figure that out. But then you're coming home, and um, you are married, and you have children. And so how, like, how did you navigate that? Um, you know, it's, I think we've gone through a, a bit of a whirlwind. Um, the first few weeks were, there was a lot of uncertainty um, about uh, how the virus spread, how easily it spread, what kind of protective measures we needed to take as physicians, staff members, anybody in the medical community, what we needed to do to protect ourselves and our patients. Um, and so I think that there was a lot of worry around that. There was a lot of um, Facebook groups that were kind of popping up that um, were specific to the pandemic itself, um, both nationwide, California, within my own organization, women, moms, everything. There was a, a COVID group for each of these things. Um, and a lot of that was information sharing. A lot of it was uh, support. And a lot of that was um, hysteria, um, memes, everything. <laughs> um, and, you know, so that was um, hard, I think, just because we didn't know how, we didn't know what to expect. Um, at work, we really shut a lot of things down, um, trying to protect ourselves and our patients. So, you know, we really kept um, most out, most visits that were normally done in an office setting were done either not at all or over the phone or over video. Um, and then we would take very drastic precautions when we got home. It was like you walked in the door, you'd like take your shower, leave all of your clothes outside. Um, you know, people were like talking about walking in through their homes naked because they would get undressed in the garage <laughs> yeah. and coming in and like disinfecting themselves. Um, I can't say that I ever took it quite that extreme. I was, I was, um, not in my yard naked, but um, <laughs> I do leave my shoes outside and I wash my hands and I kind of do a little, you know, change out of my scrubs and put on regular clothes, that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, there were a lot of different ways that I think people took um, sort of the, the lack of, of guidelines and stuff and they just didn't know and people were kind of making up their own guidelines to keep themselves safe. Um, I had to just look at what was practical for me and my family. You know, we're all, um, we don't have any high risk individuals in our house. And so I think I didn't take quite of as an extreme ex approach as others, but I know people who have actually slept apart from their families, um, either in a completely different house or um, one of my coworkers, her daughter is immunocompromised. So she sees them, but they never touch and they always stay kind of far apart from each other. And she has been sleeping in a different room and she doesn't do any of the cooking. They kind of like serve her and, um, and she's just trying to protect them. Yeah. Um, I think living in the Bay area has made me feel optimistic about the future because it hasn't, we didn't ever see the peak the way that New York um, did. Um, and I feel like that's because uh, the Bay Area in particular took a lot of very early precautions on social distancing. Like I knew my friends in the tech industry were actually working from home about two weeks before the kids were out of school and those sorts of things. So I think those early mitigation 
um, things may have helped. So I think that we can do it. Um, the thing that I'm starting to find that all of us are struggling with is I think we're all getting a little tired of um, the stay-at-home kind of mm. grind. Um, I see a lot of people cheating a little bit more. I myself have been probably cheating a little bit more. Um, and, you know, I think we're having some fatigue when it comes to, um, to the whole thing. And so I hope that we don't get so lackadaisical that um, we end up with another peak later. Um, that's actually my big worry is I think we kind of are doing a pretty good job now. And I think everybody was in it to win it at first. And then, you know, by the fall, I said the other day to my, myself, I was like, if we're not back in school in the fall, that's going to be my breaking point. Like that, that's when I don't think I can do it anymore. No, that's definitely hard because like, it, it's funny. Um, my colleagues and I are counting like, okay, how many weeks have we been doing this? And I'm starting to lose track on accident, but kind of on purpose because like definitely hitting a wall where I'm realizing that even, you know, when we start to try to venture out more often, it's not going to be like, I think in my head, I thought it's an off on. And so right now we're turning the switch off and then one day we can turn it back on and everything is exactly as it used to be. And I'm starting to realize maybe not. Yeah, not. I've had this the same. I mean, I feel yeah. like I'm like a horse at the starting line and I'm ready to just jump out of the gate. Like I, I had a lot of vacations that I really oh. need. I need my vacations every year. They're just like my reset. And so I have a few vacations that I canceled, but you know, that's okay. But then I have a couple more coming up that are, I feel like very important. And so I was like, okay, it's fine. We'll do this for a few months. And then I'm off to Europe for my vacations, you know, <laughs> and now I'm starting to think just like you, that it may be, um, sort of a slow, a slow burn. And, and that's a little, um, it's harder. Yeah, yeah it, it, it really is because I'm the president of my university is considering opening our campus on Monday. What? Yeah. Oh, I didn't tell you that, did I? No, 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 you didn't. <laughs> no, I, I don't. Offline I conversation. <laughs> yes. Anyway, but she's, she's been calling me almost to kind of catch me out to <laughs> that I've left the house. <laughs> I've been doing the same. I've been, I have my aunt on uh, Find My Friends. She's a, she's a widow and, you know, lives alone. And she's very social, very extroverted. And so I was not certain about her ability to do this. She's done pretty well. But the other day I, I looked her up on find my friends on my phone and she was not at home. So I was like, Ooh. <laughs> actually, I have to tell you that mom, your generation has been giving our generation such headaches because I have been talking to my friends who are like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. My parents are just like going out. They don't get it. And I remember having a very stern conversation with you about toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> that, like you can't just pop in the store whenever like popping in is not a thing for your generation anymore she's telling it my generation is 90s no you're not old but we have to be careful 
And I do not be the only parent who is being difficult and you know worth your aunt isn't the only one either <laughs> keeping them under wraps is so hard i know yeah. i know but it's good because because you guys tend to share your information a little easily with us you know so we we get you on our trackers and then you forget that we're watching you who we are <laughs> no i know because every time she does a face time for me it's like i better be home and not be in the mall <laughs> <laughs> We'll catch you. Catch me. But, but, but getting back to our question, what got you into the field that you are? Um, I think it, it happened organically, actually. I, hmm. It's funny, I even went into medicine. I didn't go to college as a pre-med or anything, but I, I ended up going into medical school on the advice of a friend after um, I finished college. And um, I ended up liking it. Um, and uh, basically, your first two years of medical school are just kind of classes, learning anatomy and physiology and pharmacology. Um, and then your third year is when you do the bulk of your um, your rotations in different specialties. And a lot of them are, are general specialties, internal medicine, pediatrics, OBGYN, general surgery. Yeah. And so you have to rotate through all these core things and, and then you can take a few electives, but at the end of that, you you basically have to decide what you want to be. And then you apply to that, that specialty um, for residency. And so I got to the end of all of my core clerkships and I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Um, and my husband was the one who actually was like, isn't it obvious you loved OBGYN? And looking back, it was true. I, I think it was the um, only specialty that I, um, I really was just ready to wake up and go to work or, you know, we have to do overnight shifts, which are really hard, but there's no better way to spend 2 a.m. if you're awake at 2 a.m. I think there's no better thing to be doing than delivering a baby. Um, so that mm -hmm. is just so cool. Um, yeah. I think I, as a child, I was um, always into like women's rights and reproductive rights. And so I think it fits really hand in hand with that. I love having only female patients. I have only women. Um, and I love that. Um, I feel like I get to just hear about just their lives. And I, I think that's great. Um, I also really love that the majority of my patients are actually just young and healthy. They don't have a lot of um, problems, or if they do, they have a, a couple, but it's not dealing with a lot of um, medical problems at once. It's You kind of get to narrow down your, your specialty a little, but uh, it's very diverse. Um, you know, you do, uh, one day you may be doing surgery, the next day you're doing um, obstetrics, the next day you might be dealing with somebody's depression um you know cancers and precancers so i enjoyed that and then um i think the the kind of final nail in the coffin that led me there was just that it's a it's a procedure based uh, specialty um so there's kind of two different tra different tracks of medicine there's the thinkers and the doers yes. um and then the, there's a lot of overlap but you know the the doers tend to be the the surgeons the uh ER doctors, OBGYNs, um, you know, more procedure based. Yeah. And so um, 
you know, I, I like that kind of getting something done, the urgency of it. Um, so um, it, it ended up being a perfect fit. Never my intent um, when I started, though. I, th- I think, though, it's a nice field in that you, you see the beginning of life and you're, you're not at the other end. Exactly. Yeah, I actually don't do very well with sick and dying. Pa- like, it's hard for me, I think, yeah. to um, to do that. I think it's an important thing. It just, it's so hard mm-hmm. for me. I couldn't, I think, emotionally handle, um, you know, working as an oncologist, for example, I think would be too hard. Um, And I, you know, my colleagues that do that, I just think they're so strong, (laughs) you know, but um, it's a happy specialty in general. Obstetrics is pretty happy, you know, there's hard things, but um, Mm -hmm. yeah, at the end of the day, I think it's the good outweighs the bad by a lot. So what's it like to do surgeries? Because I don't think I have ever personally known somebody who does surgery. Um, God, that's an interesting question. What's it like to do a surgery? Um, I think when you first start and you're just seeing surgeries, you're, it's a little overwhelming. You're like, wow, that's, you know, name the body part, but like you're inside somebody's body watching things work in real time, um, which is just insane. Um, I think as you get further along, it becomes kind of just, you know, it's the problem, you know, I have to do this, I'm fixing this. And, you know, it's, it's basically just thinking about where are you in space and what, what needs to happen next. You're kind of just always thinking about what you have to do. So maybe similar to somebody who's, I don't know, building a house or something, you know, it's like, okay, I got to do this next step. I got to do this next step. So you're not thinking probably quite as much about how crazy it is that you're inside (laughs) somebody's body and more um, just that you're you know, oh, this is a really big uterus that I need to get out. How am I going to get it out? How am I going to safely see the uh, ureter to be able to to do this? Um, how am I going to, you know, get the bladder dissected down during the C-section or something? So it's a little bit more of a technical job now. Okay, because I, that's the question I was going to ask. Do you see perhaps, um, have you become so so used to, to the body parts that it's almost um, not necessarily, that you can remove yourself from the entire procedure and just simply do it like, okay, this has to be done and that has to be done. So you don't have the personal, that, I, I, how, how do you, how long did it take you to get to that stage? Um, I mean, there's still a personal connection. I don't want to say you're, you know, there's no personal connection, but mm-hmm. I think you're definitely thinking about it more technically. Um, yeah. You know, oh, oh, we're getting into some bleeding and how do, how do I stop this bleeding and I need to cauterize this or, or put a stitch over here or how can I retract to show me the area a little bit better. So it does become um, in that way it's not that it's not personal. You're just thinking more technically about it. Um, I think, does it ever become so routine that you don't even have to think about it? No, like yes and no, you know, you could be doing the easiest 
thing in the world and it can go, um, it can, it can change just so quickly. Um, especially in like something like obstetrics. I mean, you know, having a baby is very natural and normal and you think, Oh, you know, people can deliver their baby anywhere. Right. But then that's true until things go uh, terribly wrong. And then it can instantly turn into, um, a much more urgent situation where you have to use your mind again to, to really um, figure out the problems. But you know, um, I've heard many doctors say that they cannot perform surgery on family members. Can you ever remove your... Uh, the question I think I want to ask is, is it possible that say in case of emergency, you can actually remove the, the personal and still perform that surgery? it's hard to take care of family members actually it's really hard to do family members or very close friends um we um you know i work at a large hospital um institution and so we all kind of take care of each other and um i've had some close friends as my patients and it's uh, much more of an intense experience you're it is it weighs on you a lot more heavily to take care of your friends i also actually recently um my sister was pregnant. She's not within our medical system. So I was not her doctor. Um, I think that would have been actually really hard to be her doctor, but, um, I, she did want me to deliver her baby. (laughs) Um, and so with her OB standing there, um, I did deliver her baby, but it was, it was kind of interesting because her doctor wasn't there much of the time and I was the only doctor in the room. And so that was, um, it was interesting because I kind of felt like I was her doctor, but not really her doctor at the same time. Um, and there were moments when it was really nice and easy and I was, you know, her baby was great and everything was going normally. And then there were times when it was, you know, things were getting a little bit more urgent. And so, um, it was funny because I was, I was happy. I did not have to make big decisions, I guess, but then also I wanted to at the same time, you know, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So fascinating. What an interesting job. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's a really cool job actually. I never in a million years if I had gone back in time and asked myself when I was like 8 years old what I wanted to be an OBGYN never I don't even think I knew what that was, first of all, <laughs> but you know, when people think of doctors when they're children, they think of their pediatrician usually, but um now I think it's so cool. I mean, you really get to have a a really intimate relationship with somebody very quickly um, and usually at really important points in their lives. And um, even I think going, going in and getting a pap smear, I, I, I always remind myself that, you know, women are usually undressed, which I think kind of means um, they, they feel more vulnerable just in general. Mm-hmm. So like, I think there's an emotional kind of um, let down at that point. And I feel like people tell you things that they would never tell anybody else. We quickly talk about things that normally they probably wouldn't share with anybody until they've had five drinks or something, you know? Um, and you know, so it's very intimate, um, and it's a, it's a big privilege to be able to, um, just be a part of their lives, um, in such an intimate sort of way. I, I see that you take it rather seriously, but you um, you raised a question, you raised a, a point just now about when you were eight years old, you never thought that you would be 
where, where you are right now or what you're doing right now. But Nikhil and I have a question that we plan to ask everyone. Yeah. And that is, what would you have told your 15-year-old self if you had the opportunity to go back right now? <laughs> yeah, and, and I knew that 15-year-old self. I know. My 15-year-old <laughs> self was so awkward, you know? I mean, that's the big thing, I think. I wish I could tell every 15-year-old is probably just to to be confident in themselves, be confident in myself, um, and not worry so much about what everybody else thinks. I think that's just a universal teenage thing is that you always care so much about your friends and your, you know, and what they think and trying to impress everybody. So, and looking back, you're like, God, you're just, you're so awesome. You should just let yourself shine, you know? Um, so that's probably what I would say. Also, I would definitely tell myself to wear more sunscreen because oh. now I realize that. I don't know. Um, it's so important. And I know Nikel was with me once when I got like probably one of the worst burns of my life. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that the last time I saw you, you were like, oh my gosh, the repercussions of that burn. Yeah. I yeah. how red you were. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, you make stupid choices again, you think you're invincible too, but, um, yeah. So I would definitely go and wear long sleeve shirts and wear more sunscreen in that Louisiana, um, sunshine. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But I, you know, I think that all of us seem to have to, to more or less be telling ourselves the same thing. Had we had the opportunity to go back, you know, because we all worry and we all want to make sure that we are popular maybe or that people like us. So, oh, the angst, the angst of it all. <laughs> and just being so uncomfortable and thinking everybody's paying attention, but they're really paying attention to themselves. Yeah, yeah. Like nobody cared. Nobody cared what you wore. Nobody cared what mm -hmm. shoes you were wearing. Like you mm -hmm. think everybody cares. You think exactly. everybody cares what comes out of your mouth. You think everybody cares how you look, but really you're your own harshest critic and everybody is looking at themselves. They're not looking at you. No, so. you know, the amazing thing is that people, some people never ever get out of that stage because at age 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, they still do it. I have reached a stage now though, but I am happy to be at the stage where it doesn't bother me again. <laughs> it's true it's true i i feel like that's the secret to happiness though is just yeah. feeling one with yourself and feeling comfortable with with yourself your imperfections and all and and it's funny i feel like people are drawn to you more when you let go of all the pretenses and all the show and all the you know everything yeah, that, just, is, that is so, that is so I, true i have a question in terms of like location and culture. I have to wonder if it's easier to do that in certain places than others, like just to be fully yourself. And I, I guess I'm speaking from my own experience that I've lived in communities that were much more buttoned up and I felt as though I needed to behave in a certain way in order to be accepted or acceptable. That actually reminds me of this one instance where I was invited to this kind of dinner thing and I guess I forgot where I was because <laughs> I told some crazy story that was very much me. And I think everybody else at the table was like, <gasps> oh, except for one person. 
And that person is still a dear friend of mine today. So I was never invited to any more of those dinner parties, but she and I are friends. <laughs> so I got something good out of my really crazy story. <laughs> I think there's truth to that, actually, Nicole. I, I do. I definitely have migrated to areas of the country that have been uh, that have more people that carry similar belief systems to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's because I spent so much time as a kid sort of fighting that within myself. And so it was just, it got too hard. Um, and so um, the, the West Coast is, is good. I don't know if it's good to cluster like that, you know, <laughs> keep everybody the same minded in the same spots, or if that's not good, but um, it was the easy choice. But, but you know, I, I, think, I think I agree with you. There's an attitude there that's so different, that's so refreshing, that I like it. I don't know that, um, I don't know if I could live there simply because I find the temperature to be a little too cold for me. <laughs> for your West Indian blood. <laughs> it, it's 77 degrees right here, I'm just saying. Really? <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> That is nice. Whenever I go over there, I always have to be wearing a sweater. And I've gone over there maybe at least twice a year for the last three, three years. Three years well, you all have all those micro climates where it's like yeah. hot and cold. I'm in the South Bay and we are are definitely warmer. Um, we're one of the warmer spots. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll welcome you here. It's fine. <laughs> the Bay Area, I've, I've lived in a, a few different states and Bay, the Bay Area is definitely the most diverse place I've ever lived and probably one of the most diverse places I've ever traveled. Um, there are people from everywhere um, yeah. speaking every language um, with every mix of people. You know, it's interesting to watch couples come together because it's literally people from all over coming together. And then I get to see them in the obstetrical world having a baby. And I love hearing where they're coming up with their, their baby names. Cause Aww. I'm like, Oh, you're mixing like kind of an, an Arabic, um, Italian, uh, you know, Portuguese, and then uh, Mandarin Chinese kind of all together. <laughs> or That's amazing. That is really freeing when you realize that you will probably find plenty of people who are a lot like you and plenty of people who aren't and that all of that is okay. Yeah. The general vibe is that diversity is celebrated um, and open-mindedness is is celebrated. And then also I think, you know, it's a tech concentrated area. So people are very, um, have a lot of science background. So I think people uh, generally, you know, um, sort of, uh, like logic and reason and everybody's very smart you know you you're like wow you're a genius everybody's a genius around me <laughs> I feel like sometimes. Um, and so I, I enjoy sort of the mental stimulation of of that as a science you know having a science background myself and as well as as just kind of that open-mindedness you know it's not that we all have to agree necessarily but that we can all be open at least to everybody's differences Oh, it sounds like you found a really good spot. Yes. It's very expensive. Oh, well, yeah, that is a a drawback. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably the biggest drawback. Uh, Otherwise, it's great. um, So were there other things that either one of you wanted to make sure that we kind of talked about? It's been a fun 
conversation so yeah. far. It's fun chat. Yeah. I think. How old are your kids? And um, how how do you deal with um being? Are, are you at home most of the time now? And how do you deal with their being home? Perhaps for the duration from March to perhaps the end of summer. <laughs> I like how you said end of summer. Just, you know, we can't go beyond that. <laughs> we already talked about that being my breaking point. Um, so I have two daughters. I have an, uh, uh, recently turned 11. She turned 11 during the pandemic. So we have a little social distance kind of um, birthday celebration. And then I have a seven-year-old. Um, so fifth grade and first grade. Um, I'm home, uh, I'd say maybe about, um, definitely more than I was before because we do more, um, we're, we're doing more virtual care. So telephone and video visits, um, which we now have the option to do from home. So I'm only going into the office part-time and then I'm part-time at home and then I still go to the hospital um, approximately like once a week or every other week, I would say. Um, so, and then my husband actually has always worked from home. He's always oh. had a virtual business, business and so he's always worked from home. Um, I think the big challenge is obviously trying to get uh, the homeschooling done when we're both still working. Um, he's used to kind of having everybody out of the house and he uh -huh. gets stuff done and then he's ready to pick them up from the bus at 3.30 and um, basically finishing his full work day um, before that. And so that's sort of been a challenge, just trying to get our time, you know, the, the timing of it all worked out. Um, I think fifth grade is going a lot better than first grade. <laughs> um, oh, really? What yeah, is, what's the, like two different you know, age and grade levels is tough. Yeah. Part of it is just personalities of my two kids, but certainly I think fifth graders are a little bit more independent and, you know, they, they know what needs to get done um, by fifth grade. They, they have, you know, whether or not they're doing it well, I don't know, but um, she, she will go to her room and do her assignments and kind of keeps a tab of what she needs to get done and, and what not to, um, like what she needs to still do and not do for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. um, the first grader um, needs basically constant support. And I also don't think that that age group is particularly great at doing things, interacting through a screen. Um, despite being that, that generation of screen, you know, they all grew up with screens, but if they don't, interact quite as well at that age through a screen mm -hmm. um and so we've had a lot of challenges with that um there's some attention issues and you know it's just really hard i think i, th I think that age they're really learning a lot of social social and emotional um things and so it's hard to not have that interaction with their friends and teachers and stuff it's just a different vibe with us um that's been the hardest part. And I think every day we just kind of have to do as much as we can. And then the rest just doesn't happen. And we have had to accept that, even though it's really hard. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm in the same boat. I've got, I've also have a seven-year-old and then I have a younger one. And so it's been strange because I think I was telling somebody that I didn't, I was doing a little work with the younger one, but then when I had 
my work started to balloon, I was like, you just do you, sweetie. Mm -hmm. But then my younger one is more likely to get in trouble when there's not a lot going on. So now I have homework packets and he informed me today, I stopped because I was tired of doing homework. And then the seven-year-old is the same sort of thing where I'm learning more about, it's like you said, it's social emotional. So sometimes with her work, it's more about the work ethic. Like how do I know mm -hmm. to check myself or to push harder and those kinds of things. But at the same time, I'm, um, I'm very type A, as you may remember. <laughs> and I have had to be like, that's as good as it's going to get. This is going to be late or not at all. And yeah. I'm going to go ahead and tell your teacher that like, you're not staying yeah. up all night to do this. The same. I mean, I'm a, I'm a box checker. I want to just get it done. Like I want to finish the problem and be done with it and not have it on my plate anymore. And the way her assignments come in, they kind of work like that. Like it's like you finish it, you upload your product and then it's not on your list anymore, mm -hmm. which I find very satisfying. <laughs> And she is not a box checker. Like she doesn't care at all <laughs> if she does any of the assignments. Like she doesn't, it's not a thing for her. And I've really struggled with the fact that like, I already know it's giving me anxiety. Like today there's 33 assignments because we didn't do them all last week either. So we have last week and this week still showing up 33. And I'm thinking, God, tomorrow it's going to be like 48. <laughs> it's anxiety provoking, but I've had to... I had to, I have to at least try to let it go, you know, cause I know that it's, is it really that important and stuff? No, the assignments are not important. It's just, I hate not being able to check the box, but. Vestiges of our old selves, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I will say though, that the lack of a schedule has been um, a little bit liberating. Um, more liberating than I thought it would be. Um, just having an aware that we have to be or have to go, letting the kids sleep in a little later or go to bed later, or we've been watching more movies together, and cooking more together. Um, so that has been really nice, actually. So I don't know if you have experienced this, but I have a lot of maternal guilt about missing their lives because I love what I do. Um, and I'm very active in it. And if there's something else that I can do with it, I'll do it because it's so interesting to me, but I also love my kids. And then it, they're only 24 hours in a day. So I often feel guilty and I'm rushing them from one thing to the next. And, um, I finally feel like I'm not missing it. I mean, sometimes I'm exhausted, but I'm not missing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's been nice to be around a little bit more. Um, I've always thought to myself, like in an ideal world, I think working maybe two or three days a week sounds great because you kind of get that professional side, but you can also still kind of have, um, you know, be, spend more time with your kids, doing more um, with them either academically or just outside of school, more time with your friends, whatever. Um, I've never quite reached that balance, but this I think I'm, I'm kind of working closer to those hours overall, kind of scattered now, but um, yeah. so that's been really nice just to have a little bit more time, uh, like you said, to spend with them. Um, I, I didn't know what my fifth grader was really learning that much. I mean, she doesn't have a lot of homework. And so now I actually get to see her assignments. I'm like, oh, 
wow, you're learning about this and that, you know, and that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because there's, there's so much to know about their little lives um, and not enough time if you're working outside the home and that's an important part of who you are too. Totally. It's true. So any, you know, additional words, because I'm very, you know, aware of time and, you know, it's probably like we're, we're cutting it close in terms of kids being ready to like bang down the door. So <laughs> any final thoughts? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I, um, final thoughts. I, I feel I, I well, first of all, thank you for having me um, and talking to me. It's such an honor. I, you know, it's when you asked me, I thought I'm just not very eloquent, you know, or, um, you know, I just, again, I like to do my thing, but I, I sometimes don't overthink it. I'm kind of, I was like, Oh gosh, I hope she doesn't ask me anything too, um, <laughs> too deep, you know? <laughs> no, you were very eloquent. I thought. <laughs> yes. Thank you. You guys are great interviewers. Um, do I have final thoughts? I, no, I mean, I feel like this is, um, we're, we're living in such an interesting time right now that, uh, I feel like it's it's um, just sort of let us all explore ourselves a little bit in a different way. Um, I've really let my introverted self shine, and it's been kind of awesome. Um, I also have learned that you know I'm not a super awesome teacher of my own children. So, <laughs> but I think it's kind of letting us learn our strengths and weaknesses a little bit more and, and allowing, you know, just seeing people post their cool bread that they're making and, uh, you know, uh, you know, funny acrobatics that they're doing in their backyards and, and just, you know, I think it's, it's actually, if I take away all the hard stuff of, you know, the economic kind of effects of everything and whatnot, I've, I've, I have enjoyed getting to learn a little bit more about myself um, and every, all my friends too. <laughs> during this time. That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much. Yeah. Well, thank no, you. this is great. Thank you so much worth. And um, we will let you know when we've put it all together so you can hear um, our episode and hopefully we can invite you back again sometime. Oh, thank you. I hope you enjoyed our episode with Dr. Worth Thomas and that you learned a little bit about being an OBGYN out on the West Coast. We really are excited that we were able to have her um, do an interview with us and hopefully you learned a little bit more about her perspective um, living through this pandemic. Please join us for our other episodes where we've got guests from other walks of life, other professions, and from other parts of the world so that we can all learn more about what it's like to live through this pandemic at the same time. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate and subscribe to At The Same Time on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. That way, you won't miss a single episode. We'd love for you to connect with us online. Our website is sametimepod.fireside.fm. You can also follow us on Twitter, at sametimepod. Music by purpleplanet.com. Copyright 2020 by Nikel Rogers Wood, PhD, and Elsa Rogers, PhD.